welcome to the gray area where I give interviews with developers, talk about gaming news and reviews, and focus on the interrelationships between gamers. My name is Genesee Gray and this is the 101st episode in a weekly series called Cast AR. Here with me is engineering consultant Jerry Ellsworth of Technical Illusions. <laughs> Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Wonderful. Excellent. Last episode for the listeners was an interview with producer, editor, filmmaker Shannon Sun Higson. And today is Thursday, June 27th. We're going to talk with Jerry about innovation, glasses, and what she's been up to. And audience questions will be at the end, so hang on to them. And first question is, what is your news of the week? What's going on in your world? Well, I just uh, got through with an interview for a book about makers at work. They're interviewing makers, um, trying to figure out what their secret is and how they can apply that in the uh, work environment. It was oh, wow. a lot of fun. Very nice. You're quite the busy lady lately. <laughs> yeah. A lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Well, that's good. Okay. So a brief re review for those who didn't catch the other show that we did together. Um, basically, I'm summing up as a self-employed go-getter, race car driver, sneaker into cons with light-up badges and guitars, who designs computer chips, gadgets, and works at Valve at one point, and now that's how I found you. So how would you sum up like your past accomplishments for those who may not know who you are? Uh, all the way back to... Uh, um when I was a kid, or? <laughs> Just like a paragraph. <laughs> okay. So I've been a, a lifelong tinkerer ever since I was a kid. I uh, invented things. It started off by tearing things apart. And now uh, I do it as a career. I invent things, build products and toys, um, design chips. And I'm also uh, a hobbyist, uh, kind of an amateur scientist. So often I'll post YouTube videos about kind of interesting science stuff that I've been able to reproduce at home. So, you know, oftentimes I'll try to do things at home that people think is impossible, like make my own microchips. Mm, at home. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, at home. I notice people link things on your Facebook page a lot and say, hey, can you improve this? Do you ever do any of that stuff? Very rarely. You know, the, my hobby projects are usually um, are, are driven by things that are interesting me at the time. Okay. You know, sometimes it might be a political statement will drive me into doing some kind of project. Like I made a homemade uh, TSA body scanner just uh, kind of yeah, just kind of in protest of like all these body scanners they were putting in the airports and um, actually made one that worked. Did you put it in your doorway so anytime someone entered, they had to go through? Well, mine was a little bit more manual. You had to actually move the uh, actuator around. So it's more <laughs> like just rubbing it onto people. But <laughs> but it did work. Uh, you could image right through clothing. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of how parties. I... Actually, I think that's not the first time I heard that. <laughs> nice. Okay, last time you're working on... Uh, go ahead. You jumped a oh. little a similar project that was uh, in Portland, they were putting these big PA horns on the front of speakers that would announce when buses were turning. Hmm. And uh, because the buses kept, the drivers kept running over pedestrians. Oh, man. And I thought, well, I was kind of upset. I thought that maybe they should just learn to drive better than instead of having a blaring horn in the front. And so I made a little protest video about that and showed how they were working on a system that costs like $40,000 and I showed how you could do the same thing for like 
ten dollars worth of parts, and it, that it really doesn't work very well anyway. So don't, it really upset people. It's funny. <laughs> Did they take it seriously? I mean, they could use that system. Uh, I don't know how seriously they took it. Uh, some other like bad mojo went down. There was like the guy that was doing the contract work for them got onto my YouTube channel and was like being all sexist, saying that I set women back a hundred years by doing this video and then it just enraged the internets and they uh like chased him down and, like, there was <laughs> your innovations <laughs> have set back womankind what yeah <laughs> stop being intelligent i know i should just be in the kitchen making sandwiches. <laughs> nice. but the internet you know the um knights and silver armor shining armor uh came out and and uh called them out on it and it hit some new services and then well they they didn't put the PA systems on the buses so I don't know how much my video was a factor okay or not <laughs> there you go forcing people to hire uh, better drivers every day <laughs> <laughs> oh, last time we had you working on secret projects for Valve and giving us inside looks at that and I want to ask you I've seen what is pinball donut girl I, I have to oh. know I'm a star now. I, I'm on IMDb. So I, uh, I funded a a kicks or a Indiegogo project for a pinball movie. I'm a a pinball aficionado. I like pinball machines and I collect them. So there was this uh, producer that wanted to make a short, like ten minute film about um, a love story around pinball. And so I donated a bunch of money. So I got to be like the stunt actress in there doing like the flipper shots. And I got oh. to do all these like trick shots for the, for the camera. And so it's all edited and it's been submitted to film festivals and I get an IMDB all right. uh, entry. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really a sappy, cheesy story. Uh, How is a love story related to pinball? Like they meet over pinball or? Yeah, so it'll probably take me longer than 10 minutes to explain the 10-minute uh, movie, <laughs> but basically the uh, uh, beefcake cute guy uh, falls in love with really good pinball-playing donut um, uh, girl that works in a donut shop, and she's really good at pinball, and she can play with just one hand and do all this, these tricks, uh, but she has a really jerk boyfriend, and then but she falls in love with a good guy, but then falls out of love with good guy, jerk boyfriend's back in, but then good guy goes to pinball tournament, wins her over by playing really good pinball, and then they have this, like, romantic uh, encounter at the, uh, the, the pinball tournament. <laughs> Not going to think too hard about tournament. that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Might have to etch a sketch that one away. <laughs> there you go. So I know you used to take a lot of these with you to work. What happened? Are you storing all of them? Because you had a lot of pinball machines. Where are they? What happened? Yeah, so I'm not at Valve anymore. Uh, so I had about 18 or so on the hardware floor of Valve. Uh, <laughs> I have like 20 or so set up at home right now that was in addition to the ones that were at Valve. And then my garage is full of them. So you can take a pinball machine, it's normally kind of long, but if you take the legs off, you can fold it up and strap it and strap the head down. You can stand them on end. So I actually have a bunch of them in storage. I had a, a business prior to going to Valve, which I gave up, which uh, rrr, I'm bitter about that, but I had uh, pinballs in local bars. Hmm. And so 
on the weekends, I'd go fix the machines and go hang out and visit the different bars. And then I'd collect the coins and I'd split the money with the, the um, bar. And it was actually pretty lucrative. Pinball's really, really hot right now. Yeah. People, people are rediscovering like kind of the kinesthetics of pinball. So it's, it's kind of funny. They're like video games and pinball and all these things are cyclical. Like kind of feels right like down. video games are kind of on a downward trajectory right now and um, pinballs are on an upward trajectory. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, so you're seeing more and more of them out and about. But yeah, so they're all at um, discussion here, but the, a bunch of business partners front lobby area or front uh, room of his, his house all folded up. There's no room to set up. <laughs> That's a good friend. <laughs> nice. I remember going to MAGFest this year and they had an entire floor just full of pinball machines you could play for free and it was really fun. I can see that that's a thing that you could definitely uh, make some money off of or people would want at cons or different events with large groups because they are nice. Yeah, I, I really liked pinball when I was a kid. I worked at a bowling alley and played um, the, the machines there and like the owner of the bowling alley kind of gambled on them. <laughs> and so he was really good, and him and his buddies were good, and they would rack up a bunch of credits. But then after they decided whoever the winner was, which I don't know how it was, they'd let me play all the credits down. So I got into playing pinball machines and then got a few in the 90s when I had a chain of computer stores, and I'd put them in my stores, and I'd just play them there. But at that time, pinball was kind of in a downswing, and mm -hmm. they were really cheap to get, and you just get them anywhere. And then... I sold my stores off and got rid of all my pinballs and arcade machines. And then five or six years ago, I'm like, I want a pinball machine again. And then I started looking around. They got really expensive. And uh, I, because it, it, it's upward trajectory, I guess, again. And uh, so I got a couple machines and then a few more machines. And pretty soon my whole living room was where I couldn't move around. And then a friend of mine said, I know where there's a bar that you can take and set these machines up. I'm like, hmm, that's cool. Then I can still play them instead of having them folded up, and then I can just go make money. You know, make money. And it, yeah, it was pretty good. It was 100 bucks a, a week or so. I mean, yeah, 100, 200 bucks a week um, on a good machine. So nice. it was a sizable chunk of money. Very good. Okay, let's get the unpleasant part over and we can enjoy the New Horizons. Oh, yeah. I'm yes. This is. <laughs> Valve has said, quote, we aren't canceling any projects. We aren't changing any priorities or projects we've been discussing. This isn't about Steam, Linux, or hardware. We're not going to discuss why anyone in particular isn't working here. It's not the performance of individuals. And director of business Jason Holtman has departed the company as well. So this seems like a large and unexpected move for a company that kind of allows innovation and independent projects. Any speculation, I use the word speculation, as to what the shakeup was about? Oh, yeah. I know a lot about it. Um, I have a, first of all, I probably should frame this with, I have a lot of friends at Valve. There's like great people there, really, really great people. Um, especially in my team, the hardware team, we were really close-knit. Um, we were probably the hardest working people in the company. We're very often get in around ten o'clock or three in the morning. We just worked insane amounts of hours. So disrespect for all my friends that are on there. But um of what went on is that that um, last time we spoke was probably I think it was the first time that we were ever public about the hardware department and that all stemmed out of um, trouble recruiting people for the hardware department. The um, when I first started at Valve, it was 
I was very skeptical that they would actually stick with it. And I had all these connections in Portland. I had other contract and work that I was doing. So I really didn't want to commit to Val. Um, but they, they started pumping me up and telling me how I'd have all this control of the hardware group and be able to form the group as I like. And uh, so I started to drink the Kool-Aid and like, yeah, all right. And uh, so we'd actually been going probably a good six months before um, I came onto your podcast and started mm -hmm. talking about these developments in the hardware department. Um, at that point, we were still a very skeleton, well, we always were a skeleton crew. Um, we always joked with each other that, you know, each of us is like working the jobs of like five engineers, which is working really hard. And um, so there's a lot, <laughs> I'm trying to be very careful what I say, um, because it's not 100% true for all like groups mm -hmm. in there like this. So you, you probably have, many of you have probably seen the valve handbook, which is a very idealized um, view of what valve is like. And the, a lot of those things are true in there. Like it is um, kind of a pseudo flat structure where um, at least in small groups, you're all peers and you make decisions together. But the one thing that I found out the hard way is that there is, there's actually a hidden layer of like powerful management structure in the company. And it feels, felt a lot like high school. So, you know, there's popular kids that have acquired power in the company and then there's the troublemakers and everyone in between. So, you know, everyone in between is probably okay. And then there's like the troublemakers that actually want to make a, a difference. So, um, I was struggling in the company to try to make a difference and actually make the hardware group um, move forward. Um, we were having very hard, uh, difficult time recruiting folks because um, mm. we would interview very talented people and then they, they would be rejected by the old timers in Valve as not fitting the culture. And mm. so, probably shouldn't say the numbers, but there are very few people and are very few. There were very few folks in the hardware department. And uh, having been on a lot of hardware projects, I know how many people it takes, and we were probably understaffed by like a hundred times what we needed to do, like all the projects that um, we were dreaming up. Made lots of really cool hardware. Um, and actually some of that, um, a few of us that got fired recently, were able to pull that out and we spun it off in our own company. Hmm. It sounds like they're almost deliberately not hiring hardware people to phase it out. Do you think they wanted to get rid of hardware? That seems interesting. I have no definitive proof on that, um, but uh, they they pretty much killed off our project that we were working on. So, you know, their press release didn't jive with, you know, no ah. projects. I guess it was canceled by proxy of um, none of us being there. <laughs> <laughs> the project's alive, but no one can do it. Yeah, so there's there was five of us working on this particular project, and all of us were um, canned the same day. Um, the things that do work really good in Valve that um, definitely going to bring forward into our new company is that the idea of the flat um, structure works on a small scale. So where it really really worked well was in our group where we had um, you know a handful of people like it. Their structure probably works really well with 20 people or so. 
um, breaks down terribly when you start looking at a company of like 300 people. Uh. Um, communication was a problem. That's where management, like if I had anything to do differently again, like I would make sure there was a layer of management in there that could actually do the communication. Like one of my biggest struggles around there was just trying to do outreach to the company because there's all these resources around that were idling doing other things that maybe they could come help us, but there was mm -hmm. no way to reach them at all. Um, oh, okay. When I complained about this, one of the folks, this I find this hilarious, and this is really drinking the Kool-Aid, uh, he said that if communication was important in Valve, it would have evolved a long time ago, <laughs> which is just insanity. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> yeah, and then they have this bonus structure in there that makes it um, where you can get bonuses. Like if you work on a very prestigious, um, high-profile project, you can get bonuses that are more than your wages. Hmm. So everyone is trying to work on projects that are like really like visible and like, look at me, I'm making all these uh, great improvements to the latest and greatest video game. And then it's impossible to pull those people away to work on something risky like augmented reality because, yeah, you know. It's not a sure thing. Yeah, they, they only want to work on the sure thing. So that was a frustration. So our team, you know, we were starved for resources and we couldn't hire them. We, we had a machine shop that um, had millions of dollars worth of equipment in it and we couldn't hire a machinist for for $40,000 a year to just sit there and machine parts for us because they were just too worried that, you know, bringing this machinist in would, you know, pollute their precious culture. Oh. Anyway, now I'm sounding bitter, and I am. I'm really, really bitter because they promised me the world and then backstabbed me. But um, right. I wonder if it's possible in your new company and you're talking about having that horizontal system, do you think it's possible to have a system where everyone's completely equal and there's just trading of you know, collaboration, I'll help you if you help me. That's kind of how you described it last time, the ideal of Valve, without somebody, you know, kind of ending up on a, maybe because they're senior or maybe, like you said, they've worked on, you know, projects that are more successful, kind of ending up almost being a manager by default. I think that would be very difficult in a larger organization. I really, what I learned from Valve is I don't think it works. I think that um, you give people complete latitude, um, with no checks and balances, there's it's just human nature. They're going to try to um, minimize the work that they have to do and maximize the control that they have. Um, Val was really good at hiring uh, lead guitarists. We would always say, <laughs> like, we were, like yes. all of us hardware folks, we we went out and got like the best makers and creators, and then we were all lead guitarists, but we didn't we didn't have like the person that would just sit there and assemble things for us. So, you know, we're all, opinion. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so like even getting like a, a, a tech for around the, the lab was almost impossible. So, yeah. Hmm. So that's where I think a layer of management would really, really help um, organizations like that, because at least you have somewhere to go to, like my frustrations and probably led to my, um, dismissal is because I was getting more and more bitter about and complaining to people that I thought were senior in the company that we can't hire anyone or we, uh, uh, how do I communicate with this into the company? How mm -hmm. do I do it? You know, I'm so frustrated and I was getting like 
I was I was fired for being abrasive, and I probably was because uh, I just I couldn't. There was no way I could see to make a um, a process to actually deliver any hardware inside that company. You know, just like Microsoft. Um, rumor has it that the Xbox division has well over a thousand people working in it. I mean, that's just gives you an idea how right. complicated some of these. Well, what do you do yeah. if you have a conflict? You know, is there someone to take that to? Because if you're all standing equal, I mean, there's no resolution. You just just get mad, I guess. Just get just get mad and bitter. <laughs> I won't help you. <clears throat> no, that was actually part of the problem. I mean, I I saw people around me doing like adding zero value and actually causing negative value by like distracting us. So. I'm like, I'm not going to work with you. I'm going to do what's in the Valve Handbook, and I'm going to choose not, you know, roll my desk away and work with other people that are productive. And uh, that comes across to, uh, you know, the higher-ups as abrasive and uncooperative. Uh. So I was really, I mean, I, I drank the Kool-Aid really hard around there. And uh, up until, like, the last day... I was hopeful that I could turn it around, at least for our project. Um, we had this goal where we developed this really cool piece of tech and we proved that all the pieces were there, that we could have these really cool augmented reality experiences. And so we were rapidly building building these prototypes. And our goal was, like, if we can't just, like, send an email out into the company and get um, software developers' attention, we're just going to make this portable enough that we can go into the kitchen on one of the catered food days and we're going to plop it down. We're going to make people wear these glasses and they're <laughs> going to look at it and see how cool it is. And um, then everything will be great. And then uh, mm -hmm. but that's not how it turned out. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry, Valvers. I know you guys have a great PR machine and I love like 99% of you guys. But <laughs> I was always I mean, surprised that you ended up working for them because you really didn't have a lot of interest in games per se. It just... You know, everyone was all excited. It was Valve, a game maker, and you were kind of like, eh, I just like engineering. I always thought it was interesting that you know, they had that department that was just kind of like, eh, we're just engineers. We don't, not just, but we're engineers. We don't want to like necessarily play games. We just want to do this. I, I think that um, that was kind of a, a trend with many of the, the folks that we were interviewing and, and uh, hiring. I don't know what it is about electronics folks, but they're just, doesn't seem like they're necessarily as into games, or at least the ones that we were running into. But we all, like, our group is, oh, I so miss him so much, is um, we were so playful. So we were, we quickly got into the um, concept of making fun game experiences, and um, we were all maker types. So, like, if, if there was a crazy idea to make some kind of controller, you know, we would work all night and make this controller and be like, hey, it's this wacky controller. Look how funny it is to play with it. And yeah, maybe that's not the direction we want to go, but we really got behind it. And I, I really got behind AR gaming. Um, at first, I thought it was, yeah, I don't think it's all that big of a deal. Like, who wants, who wants to go sit at a table and play games? You know, I'd but Dungeons as I, and dra dragons. I know. <laughs> but my background on Dungeons and Dragons, um, maybe I was a little biased because when I was a kid, I wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons with my friends, but they were so mean to me. I would do my character sheet with them, and then we would get together and we'd play the game, and they'd let me die within <laughs> like a few rolls. And then 
I'd have to just sit there for hours and hours, like bored out of my mind, waiting for them to recover or That's revive nice. me or whatever. That's I know. Nice. It's, it's, it wasn't that popular <laughs> in school. So that's probably why they did it. My abrasive side again coming out. <laughs> um, but no, as we started exploring these experiences and we started prototyping them, I'm like, holy crap, AR augmented reality is going to be the way that people play board games in the future. It's like, you know, it's a decade from now, it's going to be probably the way every like tabletop game is going to be played. And I really got behind it. And so I started working on that and a whole group of us was working on it. And then some of them got scared off. And so I was kind of leading the charge of all the augmented reality stuff in there. So there was like the five of us that hmm. um, were you know, going off this path, and some people were going down VR, and some people were doing kind of the safer um, input devices stuff. And How did you manage to wrest the Cast AR from Valve and take it on as your own project? So the day that I got fired, um, I was walking up, the, or walking up to the elevator, and one of the mechanical engineers came out, and he said, did you hear about so-and-so got laid off? which was the person working on our project. And I'm like, what the, Ugh. I'm like mad. I'm like, what? Um, Cause it happens from time to time around valve. And um, so I hopped on the elevator and I go upstairs and I'm just like puffed up and I'm like, go like into um, our office where all the AR stuff's going on. And like everyone's heads like hanging down low and Rick looks over to me. He's like, I got fired. I'm like, what? The? what? And he's like, you too. I'm like, what? oh man, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh. Like I can't, I can't believe this. Like in the handbook, they say that you know if they think you're too far off course, they're just going to pull you to the side and tell you that. And like here, everyone's getting fired, and it was like the weirdest thing. I mean, I've worked on contracts where they've let me go and and various things like that, where you know they just kind of walk you out immediately, like you're gone, mm-hmm. right? They, they let me, well, they let us, like, sit in the office all day, and my time to get fired didn't come up for, like, until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. <sighs> and I'm just, like, I'm boiling at one point. I'm, I'm going through, like, all the stages of grief or whatever. Yeah, I'm, we're crying, like, people from in the company are, like, giving their resignation, um, or, I mean, their, their goodbye emails, and people are coming by, we're hugging and crying, like, well, I can't believe you're getting laid off, too. Oh, my God, why? And um, so our, okay, back up. Our office was, the AR office was awesome. We had a chandelier. We had uh, lava lamps, black lights. We had... um, Creative inspirations. (laughs) We had made this portal door to our office that had glowing beads um, (laughs) hanging down. We had... Body scanners, you know. Yeah, you know. Whenever they did an interview for a potential candidate, they had to take them to the hardware lab. It's like they're so proud of it. And uh, so first thing I'm like, I I was in denial about it. I'm like, I, they're going to change their mind. they got to change their mind about this. So, But I, I didn't want anyone else in the hardware lab coming through and like just scrapping our prototypes. So I just started grabbing stuff and sticking in boxes. I'm like, I'm going to put these in boxes. I'm going to put them on the shelf behind things so they don't get destroyed because, you know, maybe something will happen to where we can get these. And so I did that. And 
hit everything. And then, like, screw these guys. They can't have any fun with our glow beads and stuff. So we start tearing everything <laughs> down. Like, turned all the lights on, turned all the black lights off, took the chandelier down, took the <laughs> portal door down, went out to the pinball machines and folded them all down so no one could play them. Uh, the joy leaves uh, with us. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it, it came my time to go um, get the bad news. So I, uh, Gabe delivered it directly to me. So I went up to Gabe and walked in the door, like half weepy. Like I had pictured it in my mind. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to chew him a new asshole. And then I'm halfway up there. My mouth is dry and like, and I'm about ready to cry. Walk in the door. I'm like, so this is it, huh? And he's like, yep. And then he tells me, like, you know, we thought you were abrasive, whatever. And then I start chewing on him a little bit. And then I'm like, you should fund this outside the company or you should just give it to us because, you know, it's dead. And he, there was a lawyer in the room and he's like, just turned the lawyer and it's like, give it to him. And I'm like, okay, all right, I'm feeling better. And uh, so that was that. Um, hmm. It took... I realized that, you know, I had brought a, a lot of my equipment into Valve and all my pinball machines. It took a 26-foot truck to get all of my crap out. It's like the place looked like a ghost town when we packed up and left. Oh. It's like, it felt weird. It's like there was like this entire hallway that was all pinball machines. And that was completely empty. It just felt weird walking down there. And uh, uh, like our whole office was just a complete wreck because we weren't very careful like taking stuff down and i heard from one of my compadres there that for for months they walked by and they didn't even want to look in that office uh -oh. <laughs> like it was a scene. <laughs> again I, I i loved valve i loved them and i i uh i was drinking the kool-aid believing that i really had an impact around there but you know this weird paranoia in the company that their culture was going to be contaminated. They went on a witch hunt and got rid of me and a bunch of other um, talented folks um, and just a couple people too. So it's not, it's, it's just a couple people. Hmm. And I mean, that's when you have no management, a couple people can go through and wreak havoc like that. Wow. I've probably gone way far down well, no. <laughs> farther than I should have. I mean, they they definitely don't want these kinds of stories out there. So, well, I think every company has their positives and negatives, and there's been plenty of positive about Valve. I mean, people know that, but obviously, everything's not perfect everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you certainly have experience starting your own businesses, many, many of them, yeah. and landing on your feet. So, how did you end up collaborating with your partner? How did you meet Rick Johnson? I know you said he was part of your group, but how did you decide we're going to do this project together? Um. Just to emphasize how hard we were working, so Rick was working on another project, you know, a full day's work, and then he believed in this so much that he would come hang out with me in the evenings, and we'd work until, you know, the wee hours of the morning on this AR stuff. And so that's how he got started, just kind of part-time working like eight or nine hours on a regular, his regular job part of it, of Valve, and then he'd work for six hours for me. And then as these game experiences started coming together and we're like, this really is the future. Um, he came over and worked full time with me, and that only only you know it was only a month until you know unfortunately he got canned with us too. Um, 
probably if he would have stayed away, then he would have been fine. Yeah. But um, I, I don't know. I'm speculating. Um, but we really believed in it. And we um, that's why we were going to do this lunch thing. And by July, that was our goal. By July, we were going to show it. So after we got laid off, um, we started negotiating with their lawyers, which it was a lot of work to actually actually make um, getting our stuff under agreeable terms happen. You know, Gabe says, just give it to them. That's not the reality <laughs> of how business works. Right. But um, we managed to get the stuff that we wanted free and clear. And uh, we started working. Right, we got laid off. Rick and I um, decided, let, let's just plan how we're going to do this. Like, we're going to get the stuff. So we went and we watched Dukes of Hazard and drank an entire bottle of wine and <laughs> talked about how we're going to do it. And after I woke up sometime around like 2 in the morning the next day, <laughs> I, or 2 in the afternoon the next day, um, I uh, just started packing up all my personal tools and went over to Rick's house, which Rick has this big family room. So I started loading up the laser cutter and the little mini li mill. and Laser cutter hangover? Yeah. Uh... <laughs> And we just uh, we started working the next day just as if it um, had nothing had happened, and so that's what we've been doing. So for the last probably four months, we uh, took all the tech, we got it out um, within a couple of weeks, and with some like good faith um, agreement. And uh, I had developed a lot of this technology that hadn't actually been proved out yet, and. Um, What's amazing is in like three weeks or four weeks after we left out, like almost everything that we were working on and working towards came together like ahead of schedule when we were able to um, make this very inexpensive tracking system. So when you're doing, maybe I should describe it. Yes, first. describe what the project right. is. Yeah, this is, this is what you would see wearing our glasses. It's glasses. Um, we anticipate them to weigh between 60 and 90 grams, which is very lightweight. Um, you put them on, you roll out a special mat onto your table, and we can project 3D characters or graphics that's at the surface level, above the surface level, or into the surface. Okay, okay so that's kind of the, the limitations of what you can see. You can see stuff, you can even see stuff that flies up towards your face, too. Um, so... Also, with that, we developed a tracking system that tracks your head position with submillimeter accuracy. So up to three meters away, or actually greater than that, but we can get submillimeter accuracy. We can figure out the rotation of your head, how close you are to the table, mm. um, if you're which side of the table you're on. That allows us to uh, render graphics on the table. So you can imagine Star Wars chess as an example. There's little chess characters just walking around your table. and if I'm sitting in front looking at facing forward at them, I see their faces of the opponent's team. But I can stand up and walk around the table and then I can see the backside of the characters. Okay. Or if if I'm rendering a big castle on the table, I can peer down inside the castle. I can look over the top of the walls of the castle and look down inside. So that's the kind of graphics that we can do. On top of just putting graphics out into the world, we can also put it around things. So we had we developed a figurine tracker. So we can track figurines and props and various things out in the world. So like you're so you put your mini down. Okay. Exactly. So we can track those with the same precision as we can track your head position. So you take your miniature, you put it down, 
and we can know exactly where that is. So we can have gameplay where you actually move physical props. So for instance, Dungeons and Dragons, and I, I should let Rick come on sometime and explain the gameplay. <laughs> he's, he's like a, Rick is a, um, he's shipped games since like the mid 90s or early 90s. He's shipped 20 or 30 games. He's a game designer. Oh. So he'll be able to explain game better than me. <laughs> uh, chances are I'm going to say these things, you guys will be like, I don't want to play that. But <laughs> No, it's already uh, very interesting. Potentially. Uh, yeah, so you, for instance, a Dungeons and Dragons game, you could imagine you have props, which are walls and pathways, and you could put those down and we track where those are. And now you can augment those with graphics, so you could have a trail and you could have monsters hiding in the bushes, and the bushes would actually be rendered there, and your characters, you'd pick them up, and you'd move them down the trail, and you'd be doing your different... Um, are they solid? Are they just like clear? Like you can see? Are they solid bushes with color and everything like that, or is it like a shape outline and you and you can see inside? So the fig, uh, like the objects. Mean, Let's say you have a, a bush. And you're talking about. Is it just like okay, it's a blue outline of a bush. It's three dimensional and you can see inside it, or is it like, hey, here's an actual, you know, very close to a real looking bush with color and things like that? What do the graphics look like? So graphics is everything that you would imagine on a normal PC. So you can render a bush, and if you were to put your head close enough to the surface and the bush was big enough, you could put your head right inside the tree and you'd see the tree branches. Oh, wow. We have, a, we have a lot of examples like that where uh, things are sticking up and you can look in them or actually put your head to um, cross you know, this goes through their flipping plane. Again, I'm talking about stuff I don't know. I'm a technologist, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, you know, it's 24-bit color, it's 120 hertz, it's, um, there's some artifacts because you do have to compete a little bit with uh, ambient light, so if it's like sun shining in, you're not going to get as vivid as colors as if the, the lights are dimmer, but, um, you know, it's what you would expect as, um, you know, projecting these images out there, along with the figurine tracker, so you can imagine all the gameplay stuff that you can do with props and you can move them as fast as you want. But we also made a wand, so a lot of the game interactions with the synthetic or graphics that you're rendering out in the world, you just kind of want to grab a stick and poke them. So we made a wand that can be tracked and it has an analog stick on top of it and a trigger and you can poke into things. And some of our game experiences, we don't have any full-fledged games up and going yet and that's what we're actually working on now. But you can, we have a, like a Jenga block type game. Hmm. Actually, I can't say the word Jenga, I guess, because it's... Uh, I recalled it Jerga because it's based off of... I said, asked him to make a Jenga type game one night. But you can poke the wand into the blocks and then you can jerk oh. up really hard on the, the wand and they go flying all in the air and come crashing down. And actually the way we have it rendered right now is the blocks are stacked above the surface. And then there's a little platform rendered and then the um, platform just... There's nothing. It's like a big hole in the table. So if you knock the blocks like in the air, they like crash down and then they fall forever. <laughs> and you can just like you can peer wow. over the top of your um, over the top of your table, and it, it it feels really cool because it looks like there's this hole that's going on forever, and there's all these pieces tumbling down. Um, hmm. So it's interesting. The reason this is different than, say, your iPad, you know, we've all seen these kind of things on your iPad. It's once you put them on your, put the displays on your face, you no longer have to think about holding anything. Your hands are free to interact with this uh, real world and synthetic world things. Um, 
our tracking is so good that you don't have to worry about um, losing tracking. We've all used those iPad things where mm. you don't get the, the thing into the camera. It doesn't show up. So Right. Or you wave at the Kinect for hours. <laughs> exactly. Hey, I just looked at the new Kinect today. It looks pretty hot, actually. <laughs> nice. I haven't uh, seen it yet. I uh, don't know if they're going to actually have any good gameplay, but... Uh, <laughs> It looks good um, so, from a technology standpoint. How would you say um, this differs from like a Google Glass or Oculus Rift or other kind of pre-glasses that you've seen prototypes for? So our, our main thing on ours is the tracking system. So being able to track each player, you can have multiple players, as many players as you want standing around the table looking at the, the objects. And you can work with with objects and wands and stuff like that and know exactly where they are in the physical space. Uh, Google Glass doesn't do that. It's just an information display, which is great for cell phone on your face type applications and getting driving directions. So they're knocking it um, out of the park there. And then Oculus Rift is total immersion. Um, you see nothing in the world around you. Um, you're completely removed and um, you see a full synthetic world. Um, uh, that's interesting. Uh, you can do these simulators. To, simulators so realistic that you get ill and, or dizzy. Yeah, I was hearing that you don't do that with this because I, I do get motion sick, you know, and I've I heard something about yours being not quite as as harsh for those who have issues with spinning. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I had trouble with the Oculus. I think it's so cool. I mean, you're immersed, but um, you feel funny before, or, I mean, during or after, or many people do at least. So the difference with this is since it's glasses, it doesn't block your peripheral vision and you can um, look out the sides. You can look at your friends across the table. You don't feel like you're cut off from the world. Mm -hmm. And plus the big thing is since it's locked to the world, like when you rotate your head, um, the characters on the table stay put. There's no conflicting cues with your inner ear. So um, when you're totally cut off, like in VR, you can, it's, you're susceptible to getting sick because you don't know which way's up or you can be slightly canted to the side and graphics will be going by you in a funny way and your, okay. your mind just like gets um, overwhelmed with that in your inner ear. Just like being sick on a boat or something. Uh, now something about our tech that makes it um, interesting is that we took a different approach. Instead of trying to put the light directly into your eyes, which is like 95% of the um, techniques out there, and that's a really hard problem. We put little tiny projectors on the top of the glasses, and they project out to this special mat. And I mentioned that earlier, you roll this mat out. And this mat has a special property to it. It's called retroreflective. So each user projects its own stereoscopic image out there. And then it hits the surface and bounces directly back to the user. So other people in the room don't see what you're projecting. So that's how you can have as many users around the table as you want. Mm. It's because each person's receiving a unique image back and that has a lot of benefits the weight is huge the um, cost of doing that is is huge uh, huge difference uh, glass optics is expensive we're using all plastic optics for these little pico projectors and um, you're focused at a real distance so it doesn't matter if you have wide set eyes or your eyes are really narrow um, where other head mount display systems, you have to get that dialed in perfectly or you're going to be looking wall-eyed or cross-eyed. You're looking at a real that. distance. Yeah, since you're looking at the, the table, your eyes are verging at the right distance. And we have exact lock on that table so the images line up 
perfectly so that your eyes will cross at the right spot. So you can wear them for hours. We have people that just come beta test our stuff and they just actually when we were at Valve it was funny, like the people inside the um the hardware lab would come by and like play our little sample games. We have like a zombie game that you lead a zombie around with the wand. And or not a zombie, I mean you lead a um a, a player around and there's zombies that are attacking you. And it's kind of a, a dumb game, but just it's it's not a it's not a halo type it's like puppeteer kind of right yeah so you just kind of point where you want your character to go but it's a a kind of a novel way to lead a a character around and you're going through a maze and there's zombies that jump out at you and it's multiplayer so a bunch of people are sitting around the table but they would come in and they would play for hours we were trying to do real work and (laughs) get out of my system i'm trying to work yeah they they'd play it for hours and hours and uh I, and even those prototypes were really heavy, and uh, no one was having trouble with like motion sickness or headaches or anything like that. So, um, it's certainly been tested for hours. Let's say you're the dungeon master and you want to create a map for people to walk through. What's the interface you use to set all this up before you lay the mat out and everybody plays? So we certainly haven't explored every way that you can do input. The wand is one way that you could potentially put things down. Um, actually putting physical props down. You could have a prop that we're tracking, which is maybe a wall piece, and you just put it down like Legos, and you put down your... So you put down these physical pieces, and that would make your your terrain. And then your players could either use a uh, synthetic character to go through, or they could use a real character. Uh, Playing D&D over remote distance is possible with this. So potentially, you know, dungeon master sitting at his house and then everyone else could sit around a table somewhere else or in the privacy of their home. And when you put your figurine down, uh, an avatar of your figurine shows up on everyone else's um, play surface oh, in their house. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's awesome. Well, real-time uh, strategy they're talking about in chat, there's a lot of, I would think, potential for this to be made for definite games. Are you thinking about integrating it with consoles in any way? What's the the goal? It's a little early, but we're very excited about PlayStation 4 and the announcement actually today or recently that Unity is going to be on uh, Xbox. So the way we envision using these glasses is that the glasses, we think we can get a starter kit that gets you the wand and a starter surface. Of course, people are going to want to opt for their giant Dungeon Master version (laughs) of it. Um, uh, $200 is what we're thinking we can do, get you started with glasses and a surface and a wand. And it would also do the figurine tracking, um, maybe. (laughs) Actually, I should qualify that, maybe. Um, we're, we're working on getting the price down on the figurine tracker, so that might be a little extra. But, um... So that would be the cost. You'd hook it up to cell phones, so that's why we're going for Unity, so you can hmm. hook it up to cell phones. Um, we see um, Android is like the first path for us. Of course, you can hook it up to your PC. That's where we're doing all of our development now, um, but that's kind of inconvenient bringing a laptop in. Uh, good thing is you can run multiple glasses off one PC, so oh, okay. run two, two, two and three glasses off one PC with no problem. So... Um, could you see this That's being like on the? I mean, you could almost make like a little virtual room for yourself where you're, you have, you know, all of this like a holodeck essentially. 
Oh, certainly, yeah. So there's a lot of other applications that I haven't described. I've been hyper-focusing on the, the figurine stuff because that's where we're working right now. But um, we we took our prototypes to Maker Faire ahead of schedule, ahead of our July, which is I'm so proud of, and we showed it to thousands of people at Maker Faire. It was an hour-long wait, and what Ooh. people got to see was the block game that I already described, where you could take the wand and just bash blocks, or you could pull blocks out and stuff, which... People are enamored with that for some reason. And then um, we made a flight simulator, which is a simple, like, Minecraft-looking voxel flight simulator where you just took a piece of this surface and you... Uh, it was just a semicircular, like, piece of cardboard that sat on a table. And then wherever your head pointed, your, your plane would fly. Hmm. So you just point your nose where you want to fly. So because um, our tracking is so precise, you get this other piece of input that people really haven't been able to use much um, up to this point. So flight simulators are something that you could do is just like setting up a little cardboard with this material on it. Um, another experience that we showed was the very early uh, card-based game that we, um, yes. we put two cards down, you have two characters grow up and it's Pokemon style. It didn't have much, it didn't have any gameplay. <sighs> but um, you put your characters down and they grew up and they fought and uh, we learned something interesting about that. On that particular one, was the first time that we intentionally made things go right up to the user's face. So when the characters fought with each other, it'd be saying kapow, boom, and the the words would fly right up to your face. And we'd watch people like oh, and do these, yeah, these reactions where they jerk back or they put their hand out and try to grab at them, <laughs> which was was kind of cool. Uh, and then our other experience was a modified version of that zombie game where we used Xbox controllers. We felt it was important that we showed that you can use your own input devices with this system. So okay. we had a two-player game with Xbox controllers, and uh, you chased each other around the, the maze, and it used our really big, a big piece of this retro reflector, so you could have this huge map that you could just look around and peer over walls and see the other player. And the whole map scrolled, too, so that's... That's something we haven't mentioned. Like, the map doesn't have to be fixed. You can have oh, things neat. scrolling. So, like, your character was just blocked in the middle of the play field, and the, the map scrolled around. But if you wanted to see where the other player was, you could duck down. You could look across the entire map. So you could peer across and see where the other player was. So it became, oh, wow. became a very interesting game where people would... They'd be kind of standing up and focused on their character because zombies are attacking them. But occasionally, when they had a little clear moment, they would start peering around, <laughs> looking across the the map for. Um, nice. um, after Maker Fair, a lot of people came up with tons of game experiences and and non-game experiences that we had never thought of, like data visualization. There's a lot of um, it's a display on your head, so. Um, wherever you put this reflector material, you have a display. So it's like a monitor, and it's just this inexpensive cardboard stuff. Hmm. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see, uh, as soon as we can get some early units out to developers, see what um, interesting things they come up with. They're going to come up with stuff that we've never even imagined. Like, we're just getting the audio stuff going right now, which is awesome. It's like, if you put your head near a character. Since we know where your head position is, we can change the audio relative to, like if your character has chains and he's just doing his idle animation, mm -hmm. maybe the chains are are clanging together, you can get down close and, and listen to those chains. Or We think there could be even gameplay where um, 
maybe there's virtually no graphics at all. You're just using your head position and audio to do things. Mm -hmm. There are games like that now where you can create sounds by moving things around. You could definitely do that with your head. That would be neat, too. Yeah. <laughs> We've done some... <laughs> Sorry, I'm blabbing on. No, we... it's exciting. <laughs> We've uh, we made some sculpting, some very very simple sculpting things where you can use the wand, you can sculpt clay, voxel clay, um, just to demonstrate that you know we have one to one pixel control in 3D volumes. So you just poke at things, and so um, there's probably some productivity applications for this where you know you want to render or view a rendered 3D object. Oh yeah, this artists will go crazy. I mean, essentially now you can paint digitally without having to use your little stylus. You can use your hands again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just add a connect or some depth sensing camera to it, and and then or or there's actually this leap motion thing that's out there that d measures your hand position, which is looks really promising. That would probably be pretty sweet for this. How long did this take you to create? So, um, I think the first prototype of this was about this time last year, and it was huge. And I, I can see why people had trouble with understanding where it was going because. Being in a software company that knows nothing about the process of doing hardware, they were people were mortified by some of the prototypes that we showed them. So the first prototype was these giant projectors on a this headband thing, made like a ton. It had this cable that was uh, probably two inches in diameter and weighed like a pound <laughs> hanging up your head. And we just demonstrated that you could project uh, stereoscopic images onto the surface. And of course, I'm like. Oh my goodness, this is it. This is how we can do inexpensive AR glasses. And it was difficult getting people to rally behind that. So uh, around September, October of last year, I miniaturized down, made a really clunky version of a miniaturized version that was like, was still really heavy. But uh, we built that one and we used that one for months and months just working on game experiences because we wanted to prove game experiences in this input device. and. And so that was our focus because we knew we needed to show gameplay to the Valvers. And uh, and actually, you know, we were just working on the super lightweight version and the prior to the super lightweight version. So there's like smaller versions we showed at Maker Faire than there's the super lightweight ones. So those were all in the pipeline just before we got laid off. So it was kind of neat that, you know, a few weeks afterwards, like all these parts came back and it just went together and worked. And it's like, wow, it's just too bad they didn't get to see it, you know, when it was you know, coming together. If they're waiting in line an hour, I think they were pretty impressed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. yeah. I'm, I'm proud. I'm really, really proud. You know, I, we could have gave up, but we're going for it. I don't know where it's going to go. Um, we're pioneering something new, and uh, it's, it's, it's great working with Rick. It was great working at Valve under the uh, guidance of, of software folks that really are all about game experience because it changed my focus from this tech you know i can easily get like focused on like you know how sub millimeter accurate i can track things and have no gameplay behind it they beat it into us like gameplay what's the gameplay mm -hmm. so slowly we start coming up with this whole story of the gameplay and actually thought through like you know what our input devices should be to get this gameplay and I think it's very wide-reaching. I mean, I can see this in many, many fields that have nothing to do with gaming, but that's exciting. Um, taking a pause from... What other things at Maker Faire did you see? Because I've never been, and it sounds very exciting. You seem to go all the time and see all these creative inventions. Anything else that you saw that was uh, 
catching your eye? I didn't get to leave the booth once. <laughs> I, I, it was, yeah, I didn't get to leave. The, the prototypes were so delicate that, you know, the first prototypes we showed, the first ones you saw were on little handles, like sticks. We took the arms off the glasses. Mm. So you could, our thought was like most people would not be all that interested and they would just look at it um, briefly and put it down. And then we had like the full experience where you put the glasses on and we talked people through it and it ended up just packed the entire time. So I didn't get out and see anything. I did get to see my favorite thing, the, the cupcake uh, cars. They're like pedal powered cars. They look like giant cupcakes and you wear <gasps> like a little hat that's like a cherry. They're there every year. It's my favorite thing. Yeah. Very good. I, I love Maker Fair. There's like it's like in, it's the one in Silicon Valley, so it's like all the nerds are concentrated in that area. So you get the nerdiest projects and it's it's a lot of times it's a chance for us, you know, tech people to like express our artistic side. So like last year I made a guitar that was made out of an old Commodore 64 computer. It was a bass guitar. So I just took a guitar and mated it to the C64 and then I took a uh the original sound chip from the C64 and I made sure that all the audio went through the original 8-bit sound chip. And then like the keys on the keyboard, which was keyboard was the body of the guitar, was an actual play playable um, keytar so you would punch the buttons and it would play notes. And <laughs> I've seen videos of this and I've missed you at every single con. You, Jessica, I've missed you anytime there's a con. It just I never works out. I'm always looking for you. Like, where's the girl with the guitar and the crazy? Were you at, at PAX yes, this year? Yes, I was at PAX. Oh, I was there. <laughs> I know. I was looking. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so kick, that's a big Kickstarter. Do you have a, a projection on when you might uh, present this for Kickstarter? So, um, I, I want to qualify that with um, my background is in toy design, and we're analyzing every in and out of this product. Um, we think we've driven all the cost out, um, made some good trade-offs to keep the cost right where we want it to be, but really what we're doing right now is we want to confirm that all of our choices are right. Like we're using, uh, we're going to be doing a, a single chip that does everything on the glasses, so uh, I'm making sure that that's actually feasible and that there's not going to be any thermal problems and I just want to make sure that all the mm -hmm. every aspect is right before we go to to Kickstarter. We've had a lot of investors like wanting to come give us money, um, but we've been pushing them away because we're self-funding it right now. We uh, and they're they're coming with these terms that are ridiculous, and I think that I think the product, unlike a lot of other things that we've seen on Kickstarter before, we've really thought it through and we thought about the price we can deliver on it. Um, so I think it stands on its own, and I think people will um, respond to that because it works, and we show it. And We've always been very careful with production lines, and I remember the stories. So, yeah, for something this yeah. large, I guess you do have to think it through a little more than maybe shipping 200 of them. Exactly. The, the amount of work it takes to ship, say, 1,000 versus 40,000 is exactly the same. So uh, we have to be very careful that we can deliver. I mean... Ui, I can't even say there. That console that's out, Ouya. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just saw that they had a, a press, or had to do a press release because you know the units made it to the store before it made it to all the pre-sale oh, no. folks, which is unfortunate. I mean, but yeah. I can, 
I can totally understand their their dilemma there. It's it's hard going um, to these contract manufacturers and like any one little thing. It could be like one screw is not available, and you're just sitting there waiting for these screws to become available. Um, so anyway, our Kickstarter, uh, we have to make sure that we're going to hit our price point and we can manufacture it. And I'm I've been I've been to the rodeo a bunch of times. I know how to do this. So, um, uh, are you thinking start... this year? Like, I guess. Yeah, this, this year. Yeah, okay, this year. So I'm thinking. Um, our thought is sometime after September or near September, let everyone get back in school with the summer vacationers. You know, hopefully we'll right have... before everyone spends all their money for Xbox and PS4. You've got to get in that window oh, before yeah. the holiday. <laughs> <laughs> Or, you know, maybe Xbox will step in and just acquire us, right? Uh, yes. I'll throw that out there. I would not be surprised. Um, we're not opposed to that either. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm excited. Uh, it'd be nice if it's a peripheral on all the consoles. Um, we have a, a few things to figure out there. One of our issues that we have right now is how do we um, film it in such a way that people get that wow experience. Like 100% of the people that put it on, the first thing they say is wow, because it really looks like there's something on the table there. But you put a, a camera through just one of the, uh, <clears throat> through one of the, the eyes of the glasses, mm -hmm. and it just kind of looks flat. It looks like you're just filming a, an LCD monitor or something. So we have to do some thinking about how do we honestly um, represent that. We want to be. We want to be completely honest. We don't want at the end of the day anyone to be like, "Well, you showed a picture of this, but we actually got that." And okay, authenticity. <clears throat> yeah, and we. Um, one of our big pushes is up to this point, all of our game experiences have just been experiences and not real full-fledged type games. We want to show show <clears throat> show the games that we're going to ship with it at least a level or something of it. So it's like this is what you're going to get with it instead of a bunch of block smashing demos that entertains you for five minutes, that there's going to be something that you're going to want to sit around with your friends. So that's going to take a little while. And you know, that's another thing I learned from valve 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 time. There's a lot of reasons there's valve time. Um, part of it's chaos around there. And part of it is they really think about the customer and um, we want to make sure that we we keep that methodology of the stuff that we're doing that we're going to make sure that the game experiences that we promise are deliverable and going to be fun and keep that if, if it means it's not going to be this year it's just not going to be this year but anyway blah 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 no <laughs> question time from the chat room okay some of these i don't understand but i'm asking them pico projectors get really expensive when you move to higher resolution what are you aiming at with version 1.0 from bob kittens Hey, Bobcat. I know Bob Kitten. Um, so the current prototypes that we're showing, well, resolution is one of those interesting things that I should explain. Um, it's not necessarily the projector's resolution is what you get. Um, since we track your head position, let's say it's 800 by 600 now, um, which actually is 64480 right now on the, the demos that we're showing. But um, it's 64480, but you move your head a, an inch or two to the side. Now you get a new 640 by 480. Mm. So we have an aspherical lens that focuses most of the um, density of the, the pixels kind of dead center where your eye is the most sensitive and they fall off and they kind of warp out and gives you 
super high detail right where you're looking. So you have super high detail no matter where you look around the surface. Um, so right now, um, we're under NDA with all the display manufacturers. There's stuff that's scheduled for next year, exactly when we're going to do um, our production run, like if everything goes well. Um, so those are, are going to be 720p-ish uh, resolutions. I can't tell you the exact resolutions because it's private information. But um, our next res uh, rev of the glasses, this uh, it's going to be 950-something by 560. I forget the exact panel size. But uh, we're, our next revision of the 90-gram lightweight glasses are going to be higher resolution by a lot. Hmm. And actually, the panel size is going down in size. So I, I can talk about how the uh, panels work. These are pretty slick. I didn't understand anything about optics or these panels until I started this project. I had to learn it from the ground up because we couldn't hire anyone to, uh, to oh. do this for us. Yes. Okay. You know, yeah, tell me. Um, so it's a piece of silicon, and on the silicon are the pixels. They've been patterned, so all the transistors and control circuitry is on the silicon. And silicon's shiny, and they apply some surface to make it more mirror-like. And then they take a liquid crystal, and they put it under a glass cover, so these liquid crystals can be influenced by an electric field. So these little miniature um, transistors are turning on these little tiny pixels. And so you can have a panel that's only a quarter inch tall and it can be full HD resolution just because they're using super miniature transistors in this reflective surface. So you shine light on it and you put some polarizers and some other things in there and then it projects out the lens. And so that's how we can I think it's 18 grams is what we got the projector down to, or somewhere around there. It's it's super, super light. Uh, we threw away all the glass in it. And so you just have these two little projectors that are sitting kind of across the brow. You, when you look at someone that's looking at the surface, it kind of have these little demon eyes. <laughs> What's funny is um, uh, on our current prototypes, we don't do anything to look to see if you're looking at another user, which we can totally do, and we could turn the LEDs off. but. Since the um, light is coming out of these projectors and it's hitting this retroreflector, which is sending 90% of the light back to your eyes, you don't have to project much. They're just very dimly projecting out, but it looks like a super bright image to you. So when you look up at someone, you see these kind of white lights glowing at you. And one of our friends said, like, like yeah, don't worry. We're going to fix that. So when you look at someone, it shuts off the LEDs. And she's like, yeah, but make sure there's a button on the wand that I can push and it makes a red pew-pew eyes. So, oh, neat. Yeah, we totally do that. <laughs> so, who knows? Maybe there's some gameplay around uh, just looking at each other. And, that's right, mood LEDs. That's right. <laughs> okay, let's see. Busiris5000 asks, any interest in getting into nanotech, 3D printers, or carbon nanotube manufacturing? So, I've looked into carbon nanotube stuff. It's it's pretty interesting. You can uh, make carbon nanotubes just with a candle. And so I have an electron microscope in my garage, and I just got that going in the last year. <laughs> I have an electron microscope in my garage. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually, I've looked at some uh, soot that, so if you soot up a like, glass slide with a um, candle, it's just chuck full of carbon nanotubes. So I have hmm. put it in my electron microscope and looked at um, carbon nanotube-like structures. I don't know if I've actually identified them yet. Carbon nanotubes, the reason that he's asking this, or she, is that um, they 
they have this electron transport uh, mechanism. The way they work is it's ballistic instead of through electron hole pair stuff like regular transistors, blah, 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 tech um, mumbo jumbo. But it's, it's um, potentially a way that you can make transistors that are way faster than uh, what they're making right now. They're not limited on, uh, limited by semiconductor um, physics with all these whole pair electron combination stuff. <laughs> okay. I'm going to butcher this. Jorge Carbajal1 asks, what happened with the rest of the team who worked with you at Valve? Weren't they interested in keeping, in working with you guys now, like on this project, I guess? Uh, I'm still really friendly with the folks there. They were all my friends. We, um, the ones that I was, wasn't friends with before, we became friends. Um, heart goes out to them. I mean, understand frustrations they must be going through. I hope it changes. It probably is completely different for them now. They probably have their machinists. They probably well underway. They brought in maracas something. instead. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, it was such a disappointment. Um, it was so sad that day. I mean, everyone was tearing up. Um, yeah, I, I heard that um, people weren't even consulted in our group about it. It was just like some external folks, like, uh, let's just gather up all the undesirables and get rid of them. Do you think they were absorbed in other companies pretty quick? Uh, yeah, oh, oh, uh, the folks that were also laid off at the same time, I've been in touch with them, too. We, like, kind of close-knit that way, too. We had this one bonding thing. Uh, yeah, a lot of folks got um, grabbed up by other companies. Uh, some of them have been helping us, so that's hmm. that's very cool. Uh, so Rick and I formed this company, and we've been getting help from various folks that um, were also laid off, so they have some time. Nice. Yeah. Ironface077 asks, are the glasses pulling power from the I.O. port, or are you going to be running it separate? We want to run the power separate, um, although we're not using a lot of power because of the um, surface that's so efficient. Uh it's already difficult for cell phones and tablets to run games like for a long time. So one of the things that we're working on now is like, how do we power it? Do we have a battery clip that plugs onto it and you put your rechargeable batteries into it and you, that runs the glasses? It's something we're looking into. Um, you know, maybe the starter kit will just have a wall wart that you plug in. So it's, there's a few little things that we're not clear, um, but we do know if it's going to be hooked to a phone, we don't want to also be dragging down the phone with the the glasses. DMackey828 insists that I ask this question. Will you be? Will I be able to use this on my Commodore 64, Jerry? We've been joking about, since we're building an ASIC for it, this custom chip for it, that we should put a full C64 in it, since uh, that's kind of what I'm known for. <laughs> right. um, I... Yeah, well, I guess I'll say it. I, I have a 6502 in the in there right now that we're using, which is the processor that the C64 used. So, so much. Yeah. But more more of I had it from the old C64 project, and it's like, I know how to program it, so I'm going to put it in. <laughs> and it's small and low power. Malapropos has a good question. Can people with glasses use Cast AR without a hassle? Oh, they can. That was one of our main criteria, trying to come up with a way to do... Um, the system is we we designed the frames that are wide enough that um, people most normal size glasses will fit underneath and there's really not much in front of your eyes that so um, 
we envision it to come with a couple little rubber nose pieces that you can change out. So, hmm. you know, if you're just wearing it normal, it's going to be farther back on your face and um, well, you have a different nose piece. But if you have glasses, it can sit a little farther out. Uh, another thing that we observed right now, when we took it to um, Maker Fair, we put these little straps to the ones that you tighten up to cinch it down on the back. You know, it goes from arm okay. to arm. I don't know what those are called. Lan lanyards or something like that. But we put um, one of those on there because we were worried that it would fall off of kids' faces. And we found that that was really, um, really, really good for kids. Uh, we were concerned that maybe we wouldn't be able to sell these and kids wouldn't be able to use them because their faces were so small. But by having that, that helped. And we think that would also help people have glasses if they have to have them pushed out on their nose a little bit more. And, of course, they're so light that it's not going to be, shouldn't hurt the end of your nose. So you can wear them for 18 hours while you gain consistently. Oh, boy. <laughs> you better get the wall ward attachment for the uh, power pack on that one and for your phone. Yes. Okay, I guess we're getting close to um, wrapping up. One last question here. Um, from Thorngrim, are you going to have a dev kit available for developers to build specifically for your glasses? So that's some, some things that we've been talking about a lot is if we do a Kickstarter... Um, what comes first? Is it is it a clunkier dev kit, um, which we're thinking yes. So maybe you get that n months after um, after Kickstarter, and then the final production ones will be some amount of time afterwards. Uh, we're concerned that that doing that might distract us from production. So it's yeah, there's a lot of trade-offs on that. We really do want to do a dev kit, and we think it's important. Um, yeah. Okay. No real solid answer on that yet, but most likely. Okay. We're getting close to closing. Is there anything else you wanted to say you didn't get a chance to? Oh, I probably said too much already. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Never. <laughs> All right. Thank you to Jerry Ellsworth. You can find on Twitter yeah. at Jerry Ellsworth. Anywhere else you want people to find you? Other than Twitter, Jerry Ellsworth? That's pretty good. Um, our website is uh, www.technicalillusions.com. Okay. Um, if you do a search for cast AR, um, it was funny. Uh, a quick, uh, if you have time, I'll tell you about the yeah, story of the name. I wanted so, to know that. Yeah, so the name of our company, we figured that out in a couple days, which was stressful. And we're like, Technical Illusions, yeah, that's kind of cool and doesn't matter what the name is. But the actual product itself, we went through so many different iterations, like Mirage and this and that, and everything was taken. Or and we didn't have a name, and we'd loaded up our like, booth at the, the house, and we were taking it down to Maker Fair. There was a whole whole load of us driving this like 14-hour drive. Uh. And we're like, we got to come up with a name. Got to come up with a name. And... So, uh, about Reading area, I said, it was middle of the night, I'm like, maybe we should do something like Caster. Like, I've worked on a product called TriCaster, and then there's musical instruments called Telecaster, and then uh, Tara, who's doing a lot of art for us, um, said, cast AR. And so that's how we came up with the name. Okay. But yeah, people call it Caster which we kind of figured they would. Caster and Pollux. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we, we envisioned casting AR. It's yes, augmented reality. It's and it's casting from your eyes. There's just so many 
there. We're casting spells with the uh, wand. <laughs> I like the wand. It's yeah. It's it's, it's cool. actually really intuitive. It's it was one of those things we were uncertain of and took a little flack about at first. When we actually started using it, people are like, like you want to reach across the table. You don't want to use your hand to reach over there. You want to have something extend your hand. Oh, it's like my Dremel on steroids. Like yeah. <laughs> that could be an attachment for it, the grinder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, if you want to follow me, you can, as always, at Gray Area Podcast on Twitter or Facebook slash Gray Area Podcast. Thank you guys for listening, and please subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And uh, write to Jerry and talk to her on Twitter at Jerry Ellsworth. Yay. Thank you. Yay, thank you. This podcast is a part of the Signals Media All-Star Network. For more information on this and other fine shows, go to SignalsMedia.com. It's okay to stick our stuff in your ears. Really?